John. Love it. Well, good morning. How are you? It's good to see you. Thank you, Pastor John and Lisa. Can you give your pastors a hand? It's so awesome. Thanks for having me. You guys are amazing. I said last night, uh, my respect for you is through the roof. It's climbing. Uh, I've been a uh, church planter for 18 months. You've done it for 20 years. Bless you, brother. Um, I was an associate for uh, 16 years. It's easy, baby, compared to church planting. That's a cakewalk compared to this. So uh, it's nice to be with you. And what an amazing thing God is doing uh, here and your church, this facility. It's awesome. Let's just give God a shout out for what he's doing here. It's so awesome. Yeah. So wonderful. So great. And uh, I love being with you. I want to introduce you real quickly to my family before I get started. They are back in Kansas City. And so uh, this is my wife, Renata. That's my boy, Dawson. He is 12 in that picture. He is now 13, and he is taller than I am, everybody. It's scary. And um, that's my little girl, Olivia. That's my little girl, Adeline Grace. And then there's my boy, the masculine beast of a man, Justice. He's seven. And so uh, that's my tribe. And, uh, and they send you greetings. And um, it's fun to be with you. I'm excited about what God's going to do. If you have your Bibles, turn with me uh, to Revelation chapter five, or we'll put it up on the screen. And uh, I am wearing a t-shirt in March in Michigan. So it's, come on, it's warm out today. It's nice. And so um, I thought it'd be a lot colder here. Revelation, if you've got your Bibles, Revelation chapter five. And I just wanna talk about Jesus this morning as we're headed into Easter. I want us just to increase our view of what God looks like. I want us to have a high reverence for who Jesus is. I want us to have a fascination for the person of Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, the most important thing about you is how you see God. And 10,000 lesser problems will dissipate when we have a high view of the excellency and the worth and the magnificence of who Jesus is. Revelation chapter five says, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders in a loud voice, they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Everybody say worthy. Worthy. Say it again, worthy. Worthy. Look at your neighbor and say worthy. Worthy. Look at your uh, second favorite person and say worthy. (laughs) That one you didn't choose. So, uh, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Will you just raise your hands with me and let's pray together. Just raise them up. There you go. Come on now. Father, we love you and we come before you in the powerful name of Jesus. And God, we ask that in these few moments that we have together, that we would behold the worthy lamb, that who Jesus is and what he has done would move our hearts yet again. We pray for fresh revelation. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might know God, that we might see Jesus, that we might grow in fascination, that we might be enthralled, that we would have a little bit of wonder here on earth as we will be fascinated forever and ever. We honor you, we love you, and God, I thank you for this beautiful church. Thank you for John and Lisa and their faithfulness for decades. We give you honor. And everybody said amen. amen. Years ago, I uh, got on a flight and uh, I was sitting next to uh, 
the, I, was, I was sitting next to the window and the flight attendant, after he had served everybody, came and sat down next to me, which that's kind of rare and rarely ever happens. And uh, we began to talk and he was 26 years old and I began to tell him about what I did. He began to tell me about his journey. And so when I told him that I was a pastor, he said, oh yeah, he goes, interesting. He goes, I gave up on the God thing. That was his phrase, the God thing. I said, what do you mean you gave up on the God thing? He said, well, I tried it and it did not work. And I said, okay, so it did not work. What does that mean to you? He said, well, I heard the preacher on TV tell me to pray a prayer. And if I prayed a prayer, that my life would get better. So I prayed the prayer. And my life didn't get better. I said, well, what did you expect? And what actually happened? He said, well, I'm single. I wanted a wife. Still don't have a wife. He said, I, 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 I wanted a house. I have an apartment. I still live in the apartment. He said, I wanted a, a nice car and I still drive a motorcycle. He said, my life didn't get any better. And so I gave up. I punted. I'm done. And I looked at him and I said, so let me get this straight. You decided to follow Jesus with the idea that Jesus was a means to get you to your ultimate end. And your ultimate end was the American dream. I said, your ultimate end was what you just described to me was that you wanted the wife, you wanted the house, and you wanted the car. And he said, well, isn't that why you follow God? Isn't that why you are doing the God thing? Because you want your life to be better? I said, I didn't sign up to follow Jesus based upon what I could get, but based upon who he is. And he looked at me and he said, oh, you are a preacher. And I said, <laughs> yes, I am. And I began to talk to him about what it means to follow Jesus. And I said, the truth is, is that we have scriptures that reveal to us who Jesus is and that he really is a person and that he really did change history. And I don't follow him based upon what I can get, but based upon the fact that I have this conviction that he is God and that he is forever and ever king. And we began to have this dialogue about what it means to follow Jesus and who Jesus is. In our culture today, there's a big conversation about how we're losing young adults, about how 20-somethings are leaving the local church in mass. And one of the ways that they talk about it is with, it's big words, and I'll spell it out for you, but the label given to the idea of how young adults in America see God is this moralistic, therapeutic deism. I know, I'll explain it, don't worry. And it's this, moralistic, meaning they have this view of God, this idea, God wants me to be good, wants me to be moral, therapeutic, God wants me to be happy, give me the house, the girl in the car. And deism, well, God exists, but he's not really around. He kind of set up the world and backed up and he's not involved in my life. And with that overwhelming view, with that false view of God, where it's just, God wants me to be good, he wants me to be happy, and he's not involved. The moment that young people face a crisis, the moment that all of a sudden life doesn't go as expected, the moment that you face that inevitable, painful moment, that crisis, when that's your worldview, when your worldview is, is centered around me, my happiness, and God's not much involved, in that crisis, if you have that false view of God, 
you'll develop accusation towards God instead of affection. When in, in the moment, you go through crisis and he is the one that will help you go through the pain and you could grow in your affection towards God. When you've got a false view of God, you become angry, develop accusation, rage, instead of, oh God, in my broken time of despair and need, I run to the one who loves me. Oh, the reckless love of God. And so the, one of the greatest things that we can do to grow in our journey with Jesus is to have a right view that we would open up our eyes to see him and to see him correctly. And so that when you go through your darkest day, when you go through your most difficult season, you don't wanna run from God, you wanna run to God because you have a right view of what he looks like. You have a right understanding of who he is. Years ago, I went to, uh, had the opportunity to go to, to Germany. I, I, uh, I, I kind of have this hero um, that developed Really in my early 20s, I, um, I was a, a young person that started prayer meetings in my junior high and, and saw God move powerfully in, in junior high, realistically. And it was more powerful in junior high than in high school. But because of that, in high school, I just kind of, I kind of became a fanatic about, about, about God. And, I, I, and the, realistically, it was because I accidentally stepped into a mini revival. I was broken and experiencing all kinds of pain as a 12 year old and my dad was an incredible dad and my dad told me to start praying for my enemies and my dad told me to start leading prayer meetings and my dad told me to start leading people to Jesus and so I just, I just kinda did what my dad told me to do and I, I accidentally started seeing God do this powerful work in my school and I ended up, I ended up kinda being fascinated with revivals and, and prayer and so when I was in my early 20s I went to Germany and. I was on the plane uh, studying about this missions movement that was started as a prayer movement in Hernhut, Germany. And I got off the plane and I went up to the lady there in Berlin and I said, hey, I'm here. I'm, I'm kind of on a trek to see a historical site where there's a famous revival that took place here in Germany. And she said, where do you wanna go? And I said, I need you to give me directions to get to Hernhut, Germany. And she said, what? And I said, Hernhut. She said, there's, there's no such place. And of course, I was a little sad because I had just spent all my time and money to get here. And I looked at her, I was 23 years old, and I said, no, 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 that Hernhut. She goes, there's, there's no Hernhut. And I said, no, 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 there's gotta be a Hernhut. <laughs> I've been reading about it. In my mind, I think there's some kind of revival there. There's no Hernhut. So I said, show me a map. And so we got out a map and I showed her where it was on all the revival books that I'd read. And I pointed in the Eastern part. I said, right there, Hernhut. And she goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> you mean hidden hoot. <laughs> I said, sorry, I grew up in Oklahoma. I thought it was Hernhut. Been saying it wrong. And so I went and I visited this little tiny town of Hidden Hute and, um, and studied about a guy named Lin, uh, Count Nicholas Ludwig von Zinzendorf. And I began to study and walk around the area where Zinzendorf had led a 24 hour prayer initiative. They'd been crying out to God night and day and day and night. And that prayer initiative was young people, two guys and then two girls, two guys, two girls, each taking two hour prayer segments, round the clock, never stop. 
And history refers to it as the 100 year prayer meeting. Took place for 100 years. And out of the overflow of the prayer movement, they began to send out missionaries all over the world, which we kind of know now, and that's kind of common now for us to talk about leaving where we're at in order to go take the gospel to other places. In Protestantism, it's very normal, but in 1727, this was not a part of what was taking place in church history. They began to send out missionaries all over the world. And it was pretty amazing because I would walk by the gravestones of where people had gone out and then come back and they would bury them in head and hoot. And on, the, on, on their gravestones, it would say the location of where they took the gospel and and the highest percentage, like, like 80%, I mean, high percentage of the income that they would get, they would give to send these people all over the world. And everybody lived on very little in order to send out these missionaries. And it's just an incredible place. And so one of the famous stories that came out of Hernhut, Hidden Hoot, was, was a guy named Leonard Dober and David Nitchman. One was a carpenter and the other was a potter. And Zinzendorf, the leader, who's one of my heroes, and I, I did actually ask Renata if we could name my son Dawson Zinzendorf Perkins. And I was close, but she punted on it and we went with Dawson. But he was almost Zinzendorf Perkins, which <laughs> I just think it sounds cool. What's up, Zinzi? I mean, just my boy. But anyway, so <laughs> Dawson's forever grateful. Dad. Uh, <laughs> anyway, so, but Leonard Dover and David Nishman had the opportunity to go to the West Indies because Zinzendorf came and he said, guys, we have an opportunity. And in the West Indies, there's, there's no gospel on the islands. There's, people don't know about Jesus and there's really no way to get on the island. The, 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 the people there haven't heard, but the landowners need slaves. And if anybody is willing to sell their lives into slavery, there's the opportunity to take the gospel. If you're willing to give up your life, if you're willing to, to go, sell your life into slavery. Leonard Dober and David Nitschman said, we'll go. And at 19 years old, they began for a few months to prepare and get ready. And as the boat pulled out of the harbor, they had sold their lives into slavery. They're gonna be slaves the rest of their life because they were, had this view that they wanted to take the gospel to these people that would not hear unless somebody went. And the amount that they received to sell their lives into slavery was the same amount needed for a one-way boat fare to go. And they yelled back to friends and family, as the boat pulled out of the harbor, what became the anthem of the Moravian missions movement? They looked back and they said, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Now, I want you to catch that because it is the opposite of moralistic therapeutic deism. Picture 19 year olds giving their lives May the lamb, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive blessing and honor and glory and power for, may the lamb, there's this high view of who Jesus is. May the lamb who was slain, Jesus who gave his life, may the lamb who was slain, may he receive a great reward. May he receive a great multitude that no one could count from every tongue, tribe and nation. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. It's the opposite. Moralistic therapeutic deism says, hey, God wants me to just be good. God wants me to be happy. 
God's barely involved. Passionate Christianity says I walk in relationship with God. It's not about me behaving for God. It's about me walking with God. Therapeutic, hey, there are some good days and there are some bad days, but I didn't get in this in order to just be happy. I've got an internal reality of through good days and bad days, highs and lows, I'm walking with Jesus and I'm not in it for my own happiness, I'm in it for his glory. Deism, God is the very opposite of not involved. He's personal, he's right here with me. I am the temple of the Holy Spirit. He resides in me. He is not, he is not distant, he is near. And so these 19-year-olds give their lives. And my prayer for us is that we would possess a weightiness in us where we would say, he is worthy. He is awesome. He is the worthy lamb. And it, when we see him, when it's what moves us, then whether you go through good days or bad days, whether your team wins or loses, whether your taxes have a good return or a bad, no, your circumstance is not, does not dictate who you are. You've got this view of who God is and he's everything to you. And I'm telling you, easy to preach, hard to live. But what happens when we stare at God long enough that worship flows from us? We are mesmerized with who he is. We're fascinated with he is awesome. He is king. He is, he is, he is worthy. Worship is our response to what we value most. Whatever flows out of you, worship. I spent 16 years in Colorado Springs as a pastor and my very last year there, the Denver Broncos won the Super Bowl. And there was a million people that showed up at the parade. A million people. Thousands of them lied to all their bosses. I'm sick today. <laughs> and that parade had a million people. And to see a million people, I mean, I mean, it wasn't even a parade. I mean, it's just the play. I mean, it's just, whoo. But it's, hey, finally, let's paint ourselves orange and blue and not wear a shirt and celebrate. What do I value most? Renata and I were walking out of a movie and there was this line that went around the, the building. It was like, we went on our date night. It was a Friday or a Thursday or Friday night. And I mean, this long, 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 long line. And I'll never forget walking to my car and as this lady was in line and she was a long way from getting in. And I looked at her and I said, what movie are you waiting to see? And she looked at me with all kinds of pain. Like, what is wrong with you? How could you not know? What is your, you, you're the dumbest guy I've ever met. Why? Because she cared about whatever, I don't even remember what it was. She, she cared about that movie and I didn't even know. The place that you really see it, Black Friday. Yeah. Yeah, because there are some people that on Black Friday, man, it is like, I will stay up all night in the ice and snow. I will, can't, I, I will, I will pitch a tent in the Home Depot parking lot and stay up all night to save $100 on a, on a snowblower. Yeah, that's smart. That's what, because, mm, that's good. There's other people that are like, that's crazy, but I will get up at 2 a.m. in order to go get in a fist fight for a plasma TV at Walmart. Yeah, that's what I care about. 
Then there's the rest of us that we say, I'll tell you what I care about. I'm sleeping in that day, brother. That's what I care. I'm sleeping. I'm not staying up at all. I care about sleep. There's other people, they're just looking at their fantasy football team. They don't even know that it's Thanksgiving. Here's my point. Whatever you value most, whatever's alive on the inside, whatever's what you care about. My prayer for us today is that we would center our eyes on Jesus and say, Jesus, you are worthy of my worship. You are worthy of my affection, my, what, what moves me. My, and when that, when, that, when that gets alive on the inside, then 10 steps to this, 10 steps to that, five ways to quit doing this, five ways to start doing that. I'm telling you, the fascinated life, just undone with who Jesus is, it's the way to live. It's the, it's, Jesus is worthy of your affection, of your marvel, of your worship. And it's more than songs. I love songs. I love Corey Asbury's new song. I love to sing songs, but it's more than songs. It's this. It's, it's you. You are so good. You're, you're worth my life. You're everything to me. Jesus, you're, you're what I, I mean. It's that as the deer pants for living, so my soul longs for you, oh God. It is your everything. That's what I'm praying for for you today. It's you are worth it. I was recently around a guy who's one of my heroes. His name is Dick Eastman. And um, for 42 years, he has not missed spending a minimum of an hour a day in prayer. 42 years. Some of you hear that and you go, oh, it sounds religious. Sounds like dead religion. No, it's love. <laughs> it's a guy who's just in love with God. It's a guy that when you talk to him, he's got white hair and he just, he's kind of like, you know, grandpa-ish, goofy, dad joke kind of guy. But when he talks about Jesus, it's his favorite subject. Recently, I was around him and he told me, he said, uh, yeah, my Bible, my Bible started to get torn up and I, I wanted to get it re-fixed up, redone. And so I went to have it done and they told me it would take two weeks. You gotta understand when you spend an hour a day with that Bible, it means something to him. And it's not so much that exact Bible, but it's what it represents. It's this avenue that he uses to connect with Jesus. And so I said, so what'd you do? He said, well, I, was, I was mad. I said, come on, get, get it back to me today. And she said, no, you gotta get in line. You get it rebound, it's gonna take two weeks. You gotta get in line. And this sweet old man with white hair and a big old smile, he looked at her and he said, I'll pay any price. And so while his friends are saying, you know what? I'll pay any price in order to have a cruise in my 70s, finally get, a, get some recreation. Well, some of his friends are saying, you know what I want? I just, man, I just wanna be able to watch some TV and relax a little bit because life's been hard. No, he's going, okay, I'm in my 70s. I've got a little bit of money. I'll pay any price. Why? It's response to what you value most. And he had his Bible back that day. Boom, front of the line. I don't know what he paid, but it was a lot. <laughs> All the millennials are like, man, he just should just download the app. What's wrong with that guy, you know? Like, it's the point of the affection. 
Not the rebound paper Bible that I'm trying to make. Here's what I want us to get. I want us to just go, come on. Jesus, help me to behold you. Help me, help me to see how you're worthy. Open up my heart to behold you. Jesus, I've lived without the fascination and the wonder. My prayer is that it would grow in you today. You go, I'm, I don't wanna live at a distance. I want Jesus. I want the worthy lamb. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. I want that to be alive on the inside. He's worthy of your worship, your affection, what moves you. And he's worthy of your obedience. Oh no, David, don't talk obedience. Yeah, let's talk obedience. Let's talk about what moves. I, I, I'm worshiping so much so that when he calls me to sell my life into slavery, I say, okay, I'll go. I mean, what is that? High view of God. A high view of God solves 10,000 lesser problems. I just want you to get, he's worthy of my affection. He's worthy of my obedience. My parents um, had the shock of their lives in December of 1976 because they expected to have twins. And uh, I was born. And then four minutes later, my sister Dana was born. And to the shock of my parents and ironically, the doctor, <laughs> it wasn't done yet. And somehow they had not spotted that there was actually three babies in there. And so four minutes after that, my sister Deborah was born. And so for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about, that's called being a triplet. I'm a triplet. It's very similar to being born in a litter. And <laughs> it is, it's the same thing. <laughs> and uh, so my parents named us David, Dana, and Deborah. Five years later, they were surprised again to have my brother Dan. My mom's name is Debbie and my dad's name is Hal. And um, <laughs> you can tell who runs our house. But anyway, so my parents were uh, shocked. My dad's a preacher. My dad's my hero. My dad's honestly, other than Renata, my closest friend. And he's in his 70s. He's been walking with me closely my whole life. And my dad used to tell the story when I was a little kid about, about obedience when you have triplets. And he would tell the story that he would come home and he'd look at his kids and he'd say, David, Dana, Deborah, go clean your room. And then he would talk about how he had three different responses from his three different kids. Because my youngest sister, Deborah, she's eight minutes less mature than I am. <laughs> she'd look back at my dad and she'd want to fight. Five years old. And she was just mad that dad would ask her to do anything. Anybody got a kid like that? I do. So anyway, and uh, she looked back at my dad and she'd be like, fine. She'd, give him, she'd go clean her room. And then he would talk about how Dana would respond. Now they call Dana, Dana Angel because Dana was born without a sin nature. Um, <laughs> you laugh. I don't know how the girl has never sinned. I mean, I know that's heresy, but... I'm telling you, like, while Deborah and I were like, what's up? In high school, Dana was reading her Bible and praying. I mean, she's just, she's always been perfect. <clears throat> I mean, I'm sure she sinned, but I don't know about it. So <laughs> Dana, at five years old, was so sad that she had possibly disappointed dad and that her room wasn't already clean 
she would begin to cry when he would ask her to clean her room in sadness that she had disappointed him. <laughs> and then he'd look at his son, David, his son in whom he loves, with whom he is well pleased. I mean, look at his boy, David, go clean your room, to which David would look back at him and say, sure, dad, I'd be happy to clean my room. And then never clean his room. <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I'm now 41 years old, not five, and it's still easy for me to say, you are worthy of it all. You are worthy of it all. For from you are all things. And to you are, you deserve the glory. Take my life. You're awesome. I'll give you everything. I'll and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, just keep on doing whatever I want to do. And I want us to just be reminded today that one of the most beautiful ways that we demonstrate our loyalty, our love, our devotion to Jesus is that in addition to Sunday, in addition to songs, in addition to small groups, in addition to, we actually obey what he's called us to. You actually step out on Thursday and Friday and obey what God has said, I want you. And you, you follow obediently to the words of the Holy Spirit. You follow obediently the words of the scriptures and obey. And I think sometimes that's the hardest part because we have a culture with so much Christian stuff. We got, and, and I love it. I love Christian books and I love Christian worship songs on, past, on Pandora or listening to the radio with Christian music or, or all, the, all the good church stuff. All the, I mean, you've got it. Christian bumper, bumper stickers. We've got preaching vegetables. We've got all kinds of <laughs> Christian-y stuff. But in addition to those things, I wanna invite you to, all right, God, I'll obey what, what you're calling me to do. And it was easy for us to think, to have this idea like we're, we're, like, we're, like we're walking in obedience when really we've just got so much of the Christian subculture around us. We falsely believe that we're living something and we haven't, we haven't heard the Holy Spirit in months. We haven't been obedient to something that we read in the scripture in months. I wanna invite you, get close. You are worthy of my affection and you're worthy of my obedience. You're worthy. I don't wanna just live in the, in the Christian culture. I don't wanna just have a churchy life with some friends and doing some Christian stuff. And imagine his pleasure over you when you actually obey what he's called you to do. Just like a father is delighted in a child when they actually obey, when they actually go clean their room. Let's take that illustration and let me, let me say it like it's my kids. Now this is hypothetical, but say I was supposed to, uh, to take my kids and line them up up here. Just Dawson, Olivia, Adeline, and Justice. Just boom, line them up, Von Trapp style. There they are. And Dawson, Olivia, Adeline, and Justice, go clean your room, all right? And they were to run and just go clean their room and go up and I'm gone six hours, come back six hours later. How'd it go? Line them up. Dawson steps forward, you know. Louisa, you know, like Dawson style, like, Dad, 
I didn't clean my room, but I wrote a song, Dad. I wrote a song called Dad Says Clean Your Room. (laughs) It's a hit in the family. It's number one on the charts. I could sing it for you. Olivia, she's my little ballerina. Oh, that's Liv, she's quiet, sweet. Hi, Daddy. She's 11. Daddy, I didn't clean my room, but um, hey, Dad, I have some other 11-year-old girls, and they're going to come over tonight, and we're going to have a small group about what a clean room really looks like. <laughs> and um, I just think we want to get into the meat of a clean room and really understand some of the depth of it. Adeline, she's, she's the one that looks like me. I don't know if you saw the, all those other three kids. They look like Renata, but boom, there's Addie Grace. She's, she's loud and screams a lot, blonde, little. She's, she's my favorite. Anyway, so she <laughs> steps forward. Daddy, I didn't clean my room, but Daddy, I wrote a three-point sermon on, on what a clean room really looks like. And I can verbalize to you exactly how the room should look. Justice, seven years old, introvert, man's man. Dad, no clean room. But I put a picture of you on my wall. It says, go therefore into your room and clean it, dad. Imagine my delight over my children. (laughs) Guys, here's what would bring me delight. Obey. Just clean the room. And I think for you and me, it is so easy for us to just get, so we do it. We do worship teams and we do small groups and we do church and we, and we we got a Bible app and we got all kinds of stuff and God's going, would you just, would you just do what I've told you to do? Would your high view of the worthy lamb enable you to just say, I'll go, I'll go, my life, it's yours. Wherever you've called me, may the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his, I'm I'm in. I'll go where you call me, I'll do what you call me to do. I'll be obedient. There is, there's nothing I wouldn't do. And how do we gain that man? We've been with him, we see him, we go, he is worthy, he is awesome. He, my affections grow, and my affections grow, my obedience grows. Your affections are low, your obedience will be low. But man, when it's like just, it's what I talk about, it's what I think about, it's it's who I am. (laughs) He is awesome. He is king. He is God. To him who sits on the throne and unto the lamb be blessing and glory and honor and power forever and ever. Woo! And that's not just eye roll for the religious people. It is, he's my God. And I'm in love with God. High view of God. And all of a sudden, obedience. A little bit easier. A little bit quicker. A little bit more responsive. And the last thing I just want to point out this morning is this. Is he's worthy of our affection, our worship. He's worthy of our obedience. And this is a hard one, but he's, he's worthy of our suffering. And I want to say this because we live in a culture where moralistic therapeutic deism is the view of God of the day. It is, he wants me 
<laughs> he wants me living the good life. He wants me having my dream. He wants me having the American dream. But my prayer today is that you would develop this vision to live not for the American dream, but the Jesus dream. I want, I want Jesus more than I want anything. And he's worthy of my affection. He's worthy of my obedience. He's even worthy of my suffering, my hardship. When we read through the scriptures, Paul says it, Philippians 3. I want to share with him in his suffering. Peter talks about rejoicing in suffering. Foreign to our culture, but prominent in the language of the apostles, which is this. There is the suffering servant, Jesus, who went to a cross, gave his life on a cross. And I have such a high view of who he is. And I am so forever grateful that he went to a cross for me and that he suffered. My high view of worship, my high understanding of who he is causes me not to try to just thank him so that I can get the good life, but I want to join with him and even the hardship. I've got one window of time, one window of time, 70, 80 years, 90 years on planet earth. And then I'll spend eternity with him forever and ever in rest. But in the days that I have, the life that I have here, I actually want to endure whatever hardship. I actually want to be a part of the proclamation. I wanna be a part of what he's doing. I want to help be a part of being a voice to my generation. I want to serve in such a way. I want to give in such a way. I want to lay down my life in such a way. I want global evangelism to happen in such a way that I voluntarily enter into hardship because he is worthy. I actually have decided not to give my life to get the house, the car, and the comfort. I've actually decided to turn my back on those things and to turn my life towards the worthy lamb. And I don't know if this is gonna take me to the mud huts of Mexico or to a mansion in Beverly Hills, but I don't care. I didn't sign up for this for self. I signed up for this for the worthy lamb. He is awesome. He, to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be blessing and glory and honor and power. For it. it is not theoretical ideas for bored people that don't know what to talk about. It is the mantra of people who are in love. I have beheld him. I have seen him. And so I want to be like him and I want to obey him and I want to give my life for the one who gave me his. May the lamb who was slain receive the reward of his suffering. Leonard Dober and David Nitchman both arrived, put their feet on the soil. In the West Indies, today, St. Thomas. One of them lived a long life, led many of the slaves to Jesus, started churches. You can go there today and there's Moravian, thing, Moravian things that celebrate his life. The other died of disease only months after being there. Both of them stand before Jesus having given their lives. Both of them receive a reward. Listen, you don't know where this takes you. You give it all and you don't know, you, you, but you didn't sign up for this to get the good life. You didn't say, I'll follow Jesus so that I get 
what I want. You signed up because of who he is. You signed up because he's worth following. Oh, the craziness when Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, for Peter, James, John, Philip, Thomas to say, yeah, um, tell me what I'm gonna get. And if what I get is better than what I have, then I'll follow you. And Jesus never offered that. He didn't, he didn't look at him and say, hey guys, hey, if you follow me, you're gonna get, you're gonna, I mean, Peter, Moses and Elijah, Mount Transfiguration, you're gonna meet them face to face. Hey, popular people, you wanna meet people in the Old Testament? Come on, hey. <laughs> Peter, you wanna walk on water? Hey man, pff, let's go. You guys wanna eat real well? Some bread and some fish, thousands of people. I'm your man. There is no sales pitch. It's just this invitation. Follow me. What you get is a person, the worthy lamb. <laughs> but if you get that person, you get everything. If you get that person, if you're doing life with Jesus, if you know him and walk with him, I mean, there's no way that on the back end, Peter, James and John would say, I would have done anything else. It ends up, they get, whoo. I mean, their names are written on the 12 foundation stones of the eternal city. I mean, they do see miracles. I mean, they do meet the, I mean, Peter turns into quite the preacher at Pentecost. But on this end, all you get is an invitation. It's about me. It's not about what you get. It's about the person. And so you and I, we've got an invitation to follow Jesus, to give him everything, not for what we can get, not because he's a means to our end, but he is the means and he is the end. He is the one that we worship forever and he is the one who died on a cross and created a way for us to live and dwell and walk and know him forever and ever. He is better than we know. Jesus is worth following. Jesus is the worthy lamb. My prayer for us today is that we would set aside all the clutter and all the things that we think are on the front burner, are the thing we think are the big deal in our lives. Get our eyes back on the worthy land and let those things become strangely dim compared to the surpassing greatness of Jesus.